Hello, welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hey, Guthrie. And are you doing our guest introductions today? I will. We have a guest with us. We have Russ Brannigan, and he has um, multiple affiliations and titles. So bear with me here. I'm going to tell you about them. First of all, he is president of a company called Research Collective, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about what what Research Collective does. Uh, he's also an author, so we're going to be talking about one of his recent books. And he's an emeritus professor at Arizona State University. Um, and so uh, we're going to talk about that, too. So we got lots of stuff to talk about. But Russ, thank you for coming on the podcast with us. Well, you're welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Boy, where should we start? I'm going to pick. How about that? Sure. Sounds Let's good. Let's start with the book. Okay. And you said, I wrote this down, you said the, the name of the book is Humanizing Healthcare, mm-hmm. Human Factors for Medical Device Design. Exactly. That is okay. it. So we're talking about human factors stuff, and yep. we're talking about designing for medical devices. So, and and I gather that this is um, what your company does as well. Is it, does. it does. human factors work for medical devices. And I don't know if you know that I've done a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's my understanding. Human factors work for medical can we, devices. Can we, can we say some of our, some of the companies? Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. What? Russ, do you want to say or you want oh, me to say? Oh, or? well, that's a great I want to see if you guys say the same companies. That's what uh, I was trying. And I know I know some are NDA, but uh, I was just wondering. You know, you know what? I probably better not mention the companies. See? Uh, just just mm. for those reasons. I know. Yeah. I know. You know my, my, my first instinct as, as somebody who consults was uh, to say, of course, and I'm, I'm proud and I wanted to show off. Uh, but on the other hand, I probably ought to keep that under wraps. Just yeah, I get it. I get yep. it. It's so it's so weird, you know, when you do consulting work. Catherine and I have the same issue. You know, we we do like really exciting work and really fun work for really wonderful companies that are right. doing all this neat stuff, and then we can't talk about any of exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. so frustrating, and I love it when people say, "Oh, can you share, you know, what what you've done for other companies like us?" And it's like, no. Right. You know, there are times we'll try to, you know, really de-identify everything we've done. I know, but that's like... But even that could be a challenge. And and even, yeah, and even that might not be okay. I can say, however, I am allowed to say one medical device company um, I did work for. It was, it's been a while, which is Medtronic. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Great group. A great group of people and and doing, doing really wonderful work. And, you know, for me, Russ, and I'd like, yeah, maybe you can say a few words about this. I remember the first project I was doing for them, like I said, a really long, it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was um, kind of, again, navigating through the NDA stuff and figuring out what I could or couldn't tell my husband about it. Exactly. Right? And, uh, but I remember at one point, you know, him saying something like, you seem a little, seem a little stressed working on this project. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, "This is, I'm designing something that that uh, a doctor is going to use in the operating room. It's life and death. You know, yeah, if if I don't get this right, someone could die. And most of the time, that's not what I'm working on. Right. And right now, it is." And yeah, it's kind of stressing me out. So for us, you know, we do some medical device work, but it's not primarily what we do. Yeah. But for you, and probably not everything you're doing is, I mean, I did some medical device stuff that was not life and death. Right. Right. But isn't that stressful though? Uh, it is. I think you're so involved in doing the work that you don't have much time for stress. Um, <laughs> and I, I really do. Uh, and often you can identify some of the problems uh, right off the bat. I mean, there's yeah. some things that you're only going to uncover through, you know, pretty serious usability testing. Other things you can uncover just from uh, working in design for years and years. And so, so I think often you start making some 
oh, I don't know, simple, for lack of a better term, low-hanging fruit changes uh, that get you into that mode. Yeah. And I don't think you ever forget the seriousness of this, um, these kinds of products, but I think you start making contributions pretty quickly. And I think, uh, I think that starts carrying the day uh, in terms of your thoughts. But, yeah. you know, I mean, we work on everything from artificial hearts. I mean, actual hearts uh, where they, they explant your honest to goodness heart. And they put in two ventricles and you're, um, you are now uh, ha have a pump appended to your body. Yeah. And, uh, you know, everything from that, to, you know, artificial pancreas, well, pancreases, I'm not sure what the plural <laughs> is know. for pancreas, um, to, uh, oh, gosh, robotic surgery systems and telehealth systems and all of those kinds of things. You know, we, we are, and I guess this goes to our, our, our mission in life, really, our, our lot in life that we've chosen is... Um, we want to reduce any likelihood of things like use error. So those situations where people are trying to do the right thing and uh, unfortunately design kind of prompts them, even sometimes leads them down a garden path to do the wrong thing. Yeah. And those kinds of things yield an awful lot of deaths every year um, worldwide. But, you know, we focus quite a bit in the United States. We do some international stuff, but, um, Right now, if you don't count COVID, uh, I'm assuming this is going to be a big blip, um, but uh, it's the third leading cause of death in the United States is what one would call medical error. Yeah, we don't want to hear about this, Russ. No, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm not a lot of fun. At let's, no, let's spend the rest of the podcast talking yeah. about each no. medical <laughs> error each, each in one. length. No, right. I mean, this is so. This is so. I mean. I know. No, I. I know. I know. This is true, and it's been true for for sure. a while. Of course. Um, I recently I have gone through. I and I'm not going to get into details, but let's just mm -hmm. say some fairly personally me some sure. fairly major medical events. Yep. That have required me to have a lot of contact with the healthcare system Absolutely. and a lot of medical procedures. That involved a lot of medical devices. Exactly. And being a human factors person, there's nothing worse than, you know, lying on a table somewhere where someone is using a medical device that if they make an error, it's going to have a, you know, if the person or the machine makes any kind of error, sure. this is not a good thing. And, you know, the problem, of course, with being a human factors person is, you never stop thinking about this, right? The, we're the people that go into elevators at hotels and immediately start critiquing the buttons, Absolutely. which means that you know we're having these thoughts. Right. And it's it's been difficult because one of the things you want to do, you know, as a patient is I'm going to trust my medical team, right? Sure. Yeah. But then you know too much, right? Exactly. Yes. No, it's so true. You know, I'm rarely accused of knowing too much, but uh, when it comes to this, I think you're right. I think it's a point where, oh my gosh, you know, I, I'm almost thinking, uh, okay, did you put that decimal in the right place <laughs> when you when do you program that infusion? Pump? Are we getting any better at this? Oh, no doubt about it. So okay. a couple things have caused us to get better. One has been um, simply uh, regulatory concerns. So um, FDA and other regulatory organizations have really taken up the, the uh, issue and they're requiring uh, that people do use-related risk analyses, what we would normally call a task analysis, um, and identify potentially what could go wrong, what are tasks that are kind of critical, could lead to people uh, getting injured or, or killed, and then uh, usability testing those things and usually simulated use, usability tests. But it's interesting that it's been the regulations that have driven the field as opposed to, you know, just a desire for better and better products. And they're uh, pretty strict with, with that too, right? Are they, they still, are. I remember a couple as of years ago, yeah. we were working on, um, you know, the uh, uh, defibrillators at airports that sure. anyone AEDs. is supposed to use, yeah. right? And we were um, uh, working on user testing, yep. a new version of those. 
and um, we actually do. Do you know Jeff Soro? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know him well. I've read his his work, and uh, if I recall, he's in Colorado. Yeah, he yeah. is. He's wonderful, and and yeah. uh, for for those listening, he's a. Uh, uh, I think I always uh, he he a black belt statistician, but um, he does a lot of. Uh, quantitative analysis yeah. work, uh, statistics in the, for the UX field, right. and so we brought him in on that project to because I want you know this was like we had to go through the whole FDA approval and I sure. wanted to make sure we had this right. So I had him calculate for us how many people did we need to run through the user test in order right. to meet the FDA approval, sure. and the answer was two hundred and forty, wow. and I was like. You know, in in the rest of the our industry, we're used to doing user tests with like eight people. Exactly. People. Yeah. And it was like we have to user test this device with two hundred and forty people. Um, that was quite quite it, the thing. Is that what you decided to do, or yeah. did you uh, end up doing fewer? We had our client make that decision. Okay. And they said, "Yep." Interesting. And, Good. And that's what we did. Yep. And you know, it was a, uh, you know, and, and it's interesting because it is a medical device, but it's used by just regular people walking through an airport. Exactly. So, so can I can I say what's just so strange about this whole thing? What? Because uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm an economist, and mm -hmm. it, it it's it's the the strangest part is there are all these rules and regulations that's prompting all this change. You're yeah. you're doing statistically significant uh, user tests with 250 people to uh, to eliminate any chance of very small anomalies that might happen, but the risk of you dying on the way to the hospital because you drove there is probably much higher than any of the risks that are actually happening once you step inside the building, and yet those risks are just you know basically you know they don't care about. Russ, what do you think about that? I don't think so. Um, actually, I probably need to look at the data here, but I think it's uh, actually higher once you're in the hospital. I, I, there's an awful lot of contributors to this. Once you're in the hospital, of course, you're sick. Uh, so we have to somehow <laughs> right. factor that in. And, and there are plenty of these deaths that we might attribute to use error, for example, uh, that largely come from people who are in, pretty, um, in a pretty bad state. Um, so they might not be terribly re resilient or robust to begin with. Um, so that that's true. Um, but you know, there's so many, um, there's so many devices and so many procedures and so many people, um, in the healthcare system. It's probably the most complex system in the world, uh, that there's lots of opportunity for these things to happen. Now, the nice part is because it's a somewhat resilient system. Lots of times we can make a use error and kind of realize, oh, well, that was dumb and go back and fix it. That's no problem. Um, unfortunately, lots of times people are moving so fast and they get interrupted so much uh, that they don't get the opportunity to fix them. So, so to give you an idea, let me see if I have these numbers off the top of my yeah, head. I was going to um, say, so it's like, right. So it's like, what, what kind of risks are we talking about? Right. So it's like, okay, so I'm assuming it's not the current risk of, of, uh, I've messed up. Uh, here, here's the perfect example. I can give you a yeah. thought experiment. Sure. The, the machine has two buttons that are unlabeled. And if you yeah. press one of them, a robot saves the patient's life. And if you mm -hmm. press the other, the patient immediately dies. Right. So that would probably be an unacceptable level of risk for use error, being 50-50, being okay? So yeah. are we talking about uh, one in 100, one in 100,000, one in 100 million? Uh, what, what kind of, what kind of uh, just ballpark, what, what are we yeah, talking about here? It, it's not clear. The way this started uh, getting, um, in, uh, well, so much interest is there was a Institute of Medicine report that came out in 1999. So we're talking about 22 years ago um, that suggested it was somewhere around, and I can't remember my numbers, but 344,000 people per year end up dying of, of medical error. 
And the interesting part about this is they decided to put that into terms um, that would be related to aviation. And that would be something like a wide-bodied uh, jumbo jet crashing every other day in the United States. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> since then, it's actually turned, you know, these, these problems are underreported uh, because it's really hard to uh, understand exactly, you know, uh, how this person died. And, and there aren't a lot of incentives to uh, go off and, you know, kind of uh, indicate how, how this person died. It's not as obvious as, I mean, if, exactly. a, if a huge jet crashes, you know, Everyone it's very salient. By, exactly. by the way, by the way, domestic airline travel is the safest way to travel in the United States statistically. I feel it's That's my duty exactly to right. always to always oh, mention me too. it. Me too. <laughs> um, yeah, no doubt about it. Now, one of the ways that domestic airlines got so good is they have a reporting system right. that reports not only um, things that go horribly wrong, but even near misses. And yeah. people are really encouraged to um, to report these near misses. And it, there's almost something that's, uh, it, it go goes towards your professionalism. And I think that's not always the case in healthcare. In healthcare, yeah. often it's, uh, you're better off sweeping things under the rug. Uh, and not only that, um, if a near miss happens on a, on a plane, um, that is like the main event of your whole flight. If a near miss happens to a nurse, um, while uh, they're doing their work. That's like just one of 200 things that have happened in the past hour. <laughs> and that nurse has to move on to the next hour. I mean, so yeah. they don't really even have time to reflect on this thing. Um, and I think that really hurts our ability, you know, from a, and Soro would probably point this out too, from a quality control and, and quality improvement standpoint, we don't get the opportunity to have the feedback to continually go back and improve like uh, aviation does. Mm. So instead, what we end up doing is simulated risk studies. So we simulate um, or because we don't have the data use. to actually find out what the real risk is. And That's before exactly you before right. you talk about the simulated risk, one of oh, the questions sure. that might be useful uh, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around how you determine because in a medical context, you know, people are. I'll give I'll give an example. All right. Yeah. Uh, there was I have I have a, I have a, a friend who had a relative um, pass from COVID, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but they that. were um, already quite ill. I mean, yes. sort of you know dialysis times a bunch and had to, had to go into medical appointments every week, anyways. Yeah. So the the likelihood of them um, passing from other causes in the next you know couple months was very very high and yeah. technically yes the covid was the cause of of, of their of their passing mm -hmm. when you're when you're talking about this kind of medical risk uh, analysis when you simulate it you know the the uh the probability chart for a plane you know mm -hmm. if it doesn't if the if the engines don't explode and it crashes it lands safely and everyone's fine forever, right? Um, right? Whereas in a medical context, you know, we'll all die eventually. And some sure. of us are, you know, not uh, not well. And, you know, that, that might be even in the next 24 hours. So mm -hmm. how, how does the industry take that into account or deal um, with sort of that difficulty in teasing out, you know, cause of death? Uh, I think it's a real mess, tell you the truth. Um, so, and I think that's one of the the problems we have pinpointing exactly uh, what the incidence of this is. So if you look at the estimates, um, they're wildly variable. Um, so, but, but interestingly, the estimates trend up, um, not because uh, devices are getting more um, dangerous, but because people are getting probably better at identifying at least a contributing cause to a death, for example. Mm. Um, but you're right, uh, you know, there's some pretty obvious ones. So, for example, if an, an infusion pump, um, a, a common problem, and one you're probably familiar with is death, death by decimal. So imagine somebody uh, anticipates, uh, oh, administering, you know, five milligrams per kilogram uh, per hour of a certain medication. 
and types in 5.0, but accidentally fat fingers it and it ends up 50.0. Now you're administering a 10 times overdose. And you might not have the immediate feedback. The person doesn't scream, for example, because you've made that decimal point error. You make that change real quick and walk out of the room. Um, now, they've done some things recently recognizing this problem, largely due to great human factors work that says, boy, 50 milligrams per kilogram over a period of an hour is, uh, is not really a clinical dose. Are you sure you want to do this? And, but, but even then, as you know, confirmation boxes and things like that, mm -hmm. sometimes we go with the default. <laughs> Hopefully the default is, no, I don't want to do this, but you know, uh, people are moving fast and they've got a million things going on. Um, so it's wildly variable. So recent estimates. So uh, I'm trying to think of exactly when this is a 2017 study in the, um, journal of, uh, healthcare quality, I think, or something similar, was about four times those uh, estimates. And unfortunately, I don't have those numbers in front of me. I wish I did. Um, and depending, you mentioned teaching, uh, Susan, depending on where I am in my teaching schedule, I can remember them off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> but I must not if have you just given... did a lecture on this. I know. If I, if I had just done a lecture on this, I would know off the top of my head and you'd think, oh my gosh, he's just an encyclopedia. He just has these numbers. Yeah, uh, yeah. But sadly, that's not the case. Tell me, tell me about your book. Who's your yes. book? Because your book is called Humanizing Healthcare, Human Factors for Medical Device Design. Yes. This just came out. When? Uh, let's see. Feb not that I'm paying attention, but February 22nd, 2001. <laughs> I'm sorry, 2021. Okay. And and who did you write this for? Who's the audience? I really wrote it for, so I've taught human factors for a long period of time, and I'm particularly interested in uh, healthcare. There are a lot of people who are now doing uh, work in human factors and healthcare who have never had an introductory uh, human factors class. They kind of get thrown into this situation and are asked really? to sort of, So they yeah. don't have a human, so they're, they're doing human factors in healthcare, but they don't have That's exactly you know, right. like a degree in human factors. That's exactly right. And now they might have a degree in quality. They might have a degree in statistics. They might be uh, nurses or physicians. They might be, they might be medical, but they haven't had sort of this foundational wow. work in what human factors is all about. Yeah. And as you know, human factors and user experience and areas like that need to be big tents that need to include all kinds of folks um, from anthropology to, you know, to healthcare, to physiology, et cetera. Yeah. But I wanted them to have one source they could go to that teaches the basics of human factors in a medical context. Mm. So my hope would be anybody teaching an introductory class on human factors in healthcare would rely on a book like this. Also, many biomedical engineers are getting into this area, as they should, but I wanted it to be perhaps the first book a biomedical engineering student would see when it comes to human factors, so that hopefully it becomes their default reference. So in many ways, it's an introductory human factors book um, with a very special emphasis on healthcare. So if you think, so if someone is, let's say, in the in the field of, in general, maybe they have a, a degree or maybe they don't have a degree in, in this, but they've just sure. been working as a, for instance, a user experience yep. designer. Or an industrial they, designer. or Yeah, yeah exactly. but they don't have a experience in, in applying that to healthcare and they're interested in that. Yep. Would this also be a good book? Absolutely. Yeah, it would be ideal. And I think one of the things I'm trying to do is make the science of human factors. So human factors is not only application, but it's a science, right? Um, mm -hmm. it, it's trying to make that accessible. So it's certainly trying to make it available so they know where to look. And it's trying to make it understandable uh, so that they can kind of grasp it relatively quickly and kind of know what page to go back to when they find themselves in a situation where Oh boy, I know I've seen this before, uh, but I don't recall the specifics, sort of like I did with those statistics a minute ago. Yeah. So tell me what what do you think about if you I don't even know if you're if you know about this, but sure. um, 
What do you think about the whole uh, job prospects? You know, if if I'm a if you know if I'm working on a master's degree in yeah. in H you know human computer interaction somewhere, yeah. But not necessarily. I know I know some programs like I know um, you know I I am an adjunct uh, uh, professor at University of Wisconsin, yeah. and I I don't work. Uh, I don't teach in the graduate program in Madison, but mm-hmm. there's a human factors program in Madison. Yeah. Um, and they they specialize in uh, human factors for healthcare. Exactly. So, but let's say I'm not in one of those programs. Mm-hmm. Let's say I'm just in a you know a re- regular. I don't yeah. mean to put that down, but no. a regular HCI program. Yep. Uh, and I, but I'm interested in maybe doing human factors work. What's the job? forecast like for it's, human factors in healthcare? Um, it's exceedingly strong. Um, so hot, hot, again, hot. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that, that's a better way of saying it. It's, it's <laughs> um, yeah, there's so many opportunities. It's, it's really unbelievable. Um, and, and I think that's why so many people are moving into it. There's a giant need. People have recognized this, so that's important. Uh, people who have the right kind of personality and attitude are moving into it, um, but they don't necessarily have the the training yet. And uh, so we want these people, right? I mean, they have all, all of the prerequisites in terms of their attitudes and so forth. All they need to do is learn a lot of the nuts and bolts and even philosophy behind this. Um, so that was kind of the idea behind the book. So I, I think what ends up happening when this you know, things like this, like hot job prospects, a lot of us get frustrated because, well, they don't have the appropriate background and so forth. Instead, we're better off welcoming these folks and saying, hey, by the way, if you need resources, here they are. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Uh, It's not, I've I've read all your books, of course, and um, it's not as accessible as your books in terms of you know, really clarifying uh, all things because I think it's bigger and it's it's trying to um, introduce human factors, uh, including some of the details in here. So I have chapters on, you know, cognition and perception and uh, control design and and all of those kinds of things that you might see in an intro uh, human factors book. Yeah. So, but besides the book, yeah, there's just huge opportunities for people in human factors and medical products. So if I were just to open up, um, oh, I don't know, uh, indeed.com, for example, I'm sure I would find human factors positions open at Abbott Labs, at Medtronic, at uh, Google, at Apple, at, um, oh gosh, Becton Dickinson, um, just one right after another. Uh, into I'm, I'm sorry, at Intuitive Surgical, um, at Teladoc, uh, and and there's just not enough people to um, to jump in and take these things. But aren't we at this weird place though, where I guess you know I Guthrie and I uh, I think Guthrie too. You know we're we're pretty big proponents of um, bring in. Uh, you know, less experienced people. Yes. Uh, train them well. Uh, it's worth it. Yeah. They may need more supervision. Wait, what do you mean? We're yeah, we're proponents of it. We don't actually have to do the training. Well, we we bring on. I'm thinking about an internship mm-hmm. position. We yeah. just found someone for. But I, I there's a lot of my clients, you know, who will ask us. Hey, can you help us that's find yeah, a senior level person? Uh, I know. You know. And it's right. like, I, okay, what about a junior person? Yeah, we need a senior level person. Yeah. Um, and I get it. I really get it. But I just wonder if it's hard for oh. junior level people without a lot of specific health uh, experience. What? What? All right. Here, I'm going to put you on the spot. That's sure. a good question. What would you say to a junior? Le- junior level human factors person who wanted to get into medical device work but hadn't what what's How the junior one is thing? junior 
Because there's they're, like there's like junior, which is like true. I have I'm a master's say, in HCI, and then there's I'm like I'm gonna say a, they have a master's in HCI, okay. but they've not done any healthcare work in their schooling or their any you know internships or anything. What's the one thing they could do that would help them I, I be think able to break into this? I think there's two things. Sorry, um, don't you two hate when people change the question? Okay. Two things is great. I, you know. The first and ideal, depending on their financial situation and timing and all those things, is an internship. So I would say, you know, go work with Susan, go work with Research Collective, um, and and get some experience under your belt. One of the things I've noticed is the world becomes your oyster for human factors people in all areas after about three years. <laughs> During those first couple of years where you're finding your job, you're like, oh my gosh, I've got a master's degree, I should be a hot commodity and people aren't taking a look at you. But after three years, they think you walk on water. Yeah. Um, so that's one. The second one, oh, I've forgotten what it is. Well, uh, the second one is apply anyway. You yeah. know, uh, it's a numbers game. Whatever is required yeah. to get those first three years, uh, do it. And um, some people are either going to be enlightened like you guys are and say, well, really what we're looking for is a person with the right attitude and the right, you know, kind of cognitive abilities and so forth and we'll yeah. help them get up to speed. Others will be so hard up that they just need somebody no matter what. Uh, yeah. in, in which case, that's great, you get in there. But so first internship, uh, if you can get it, second, apply, apply, apply. And as usual, don't only send things out to HR. Uh, that's probably necessary, but it's not sufficient. Uh, find out who the heck the hiring manager is and see if there's any way to get your resume to them or somebody they happen to know. Yeah. Uh, th those are the keys. Um, but yeah. yeah, you know, people are being forced to you know, look uh, for people without, you know, five or 10 years of experience. experience in and of course, the people with five, 10 years of experience are so well compensated and so well taken care of that it's kind of hard to get them to move anyway. Yeah. Hey, I have another um, question for you. Sure. All right. So if you think about how to uh, apply human factors broadly yeah. to this to the field of healthcare. One point of view uh, might be, you know, as we're designing these devices, mm -hmm. right? Whatever the device is, you know, we're gonna we're gonna pay attention to the human factors and the user experience of the device in order to um, make it easier to use, in order to make errors less likely to happen yeah. through the through the way we've designed the device. Uh, and then another side of it is uh, to look at is, okay, no matter how good a job we do on the design of the device, we have to also deal with the fact that people are going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. In a healthcare context, they very often might be in as you've mentioned, you know, it's very busy, it's stressful, there's a lot of things going on. And so we have to take care of the, the process yep. uh, part of it, um, yep. to, regardless of how well the device is designed. Exactly. Do you agree with that? Do you work with both of those sides? What are your thoughts on that? We do. So, um, you know this from from kind of your background, but largely we're interested in um, dealing anytime uh, people are interacting with other people or interacting with technology. And it's simply because our background is to study the mind. And anytime the mind is involved, well, then that's kind of an area where we can uh, where we can contribute. Sometimes those minds are communicating with other people. Uh, sometimes they're failing to communicate with other people. Sometimes they're interacting with devices, et cetera. But yeah, so some of the areas you described are, you know, kind of process improvement, um, teamwork, uh, communication, all of those kinds of things. But the idea that we're trying to take is 
from an engineering discipline, say, um, or from a design discipline, we need to be every bit as rigorous as, say, mechanical engineering or electrical engineering or any other kind of engineering. Um, and we do put processes in place to do that. Uh, related to that is this notion that if you think about your product as a system, right? Think about this thing as a system with a human on the end uh, doing the work and kind of orchestrating, hopefully. The human is by far the most complicated part of that system. Um, and they're the people who, you know, end up uh, determining whether the product gets built to begin with, what the product has in it, uh, determine whether to, uh, to buy the product, determine whether to use the product. Uh, they're at the receiving end of the product. So we have all these experts out there in mechanics and electronics and other kinds of things, but it's pretty rare that we have experts out there in human beings. And uh, well, heck, that's our job. <laughs> and it, it shouldn't be surprising now that there's lots and lots of opportunities in it because, you, because yeah. people recognize this. One of the things, some of the things that I think are both very interesting and very challenging if you do, you know, human factors work in, in this field is yeah. you've got that, um, you know, you've got all the different factors that make this complicated are almost all at play. You know, you've yeah. got the the life and death situation sometimes, you have the high stress situation, you have the multiple user yes. situation, right? Because you've got yep. the doctor and the nurse and the patient, right? And there's interactions amongst that. You've got the situation where they often, this, you know, a lot of times in a medical setting, um, you know, it, it's possible that you have a nurse who, you know, all they do all day is interact with this one device, yeah. but it's also very likely exactly. that they interact with like dozens of devices and that, you know, this one they might not use every day, eight hours a day. So that's right. I'm not super familiar with it. That's so exactly you've got, right. you know, that you just have like all the possible human factors issues there are. That's right. All going on at the same time, you know. Exactly. And a lot of time, you know, if you're designing, you know, an app for a dating app, sure, you don't have quite so many factors. That's right. Play, you know. That's exactly right. Uh, so yeah, it's it's in many ways the to use the overused term of the perfect storm. So not only do those nurses, for example, end up using um, multiple products, they're using multiple brands of those products. Right. Um, often they're traveling nurses or uh, folks like that. They might be assigned to different units uh, during the same day. Uh, so different brands of the same type of product, different models of that product, right. um, et cetera. So yeah, there's just incredible opportunities for mistakes. And it's not because this is what kills me. The reason some of these problems are swept under the rug is because it's still, unfortunately, uh, a bit of a culture of shame and blame. So if you mis make mistakes like us regular mortals will, um, then, you know, you're written up or your, uh, or your um, reputation is diminished. Um, and boy, those are, those are really terrible things. Mm, that'll really silence people. It, it I'm wondering, are there, are, I, I know that there's research that shows that, um, if we go back to the airline industry, sure, there's research that shows that in countries that have a high power differential, mm -hmm. exactly. uh, then there are more errors and more accidents. So yeah. if, you know, if the pilot and the flight attendant yeah. um, or the pilot and the co-pilot, you know, if, if the pilot is high power and exactly. everyone defers to that person, then the, the lower level people like the flight attendant are less likely exactly. to speak up. And then you end up with more errors and more accidents. Is that is that true in the health? It is. System? It is. It's being addressed and it's gotten drastically better. So, I, yeah, crew resource management is one of the things you're describing. And, and, and this notion that, uh, 
in social psychology, there's, there's this issue of power distance. And in some you know, cultures, the power distance is particularly high. That is somebody who's achieved a certain level of, um, of, of uh, achievement in, the, in their area um, should be treated with deference. Yeah, you, you don't question what the you don't question is doing. Them. That's right. Uh, that has changed drastically in healthcare, and now you see it uh, much more often. My mom was a nurse, uh, and she used to describe uh, that when, when the doctor walked in the room, you stood up and faced the doctor. And uh, you, you referred to them as doctor. You never said their first name, anything. I mean, that would just be horrible, real, shine of, uh, real yeah. sign of disrespect. That's clearly not the case now. So I spent, I have spent uh, and continue to spend lots of times in surgical suites and things like that, doing observational research and uh, interviewing in context and all those kinds of things. And it's much more, it, you're really encouraged uh, to say, hey, are you sure that's the uh, needle that you meant to, to use, um, et cetera. Now, some doctors take more kindly to that than others, um, but it, it really is encouraged. What do, you, what do you think the patients should have a role in this or should, you know, ideally, should we be in a place where patients don't have to be watching this? I mean, I say this because, yeah. again, you know, being the human factors expert that sure. I am, when I've been in these medical situations, I've, I'm, I, there are things that I purposely do and don't do. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, you know, I, I've noticed that sometimes in certain treatment situations, the patients are just gabbing away and talking mm -hmm. about their weather and what they did. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to be unfriendly, but right. I'm not going to say a word, right? I don't right. want this person to be distracted by talking to me and trying to make me feel comfortable when they are dealing with a piece of equipment. So, you know, I get, I'm very quiet. I'm watching what they're doing. Yeah. If, if I'm concerned that, you know, usually there's a protocol I've noticed where they do this and I'm not sure they did that. I mean, exactly. I speak up. I do too. Yeah. So do you, you think, have to, I mean, I wish we didn't have to. Yeah, but you absolutely have to. I mean, it's probably one of the biggest, well, I don't have the data for this, but I would guess it's probably one of the biggest uh, determinants of outcome that I can imagine is how, how much you're paying attention and how much you're facilitating communication amongst the uh, healthcare providers. Yeah. Because, um, and how important it is to have somebody else there uh, Do it, doing being that your for advocate you. if yeah. you because in clearly, addition, or if you can't. Yes, because clearly you're not at your best. You're in the hospital for Pete's sake. Uh, yeah. You might be drugged up. You might be, you know, um, all, all kinds of problems. Um, so having somebody, you might not be able to see the machine. Having somebody else politely, because you, you're also walking this line where you're trying not to annoy people. Right. Um, but having them kind of watch out for you is critical. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been very, I've been very, really appreciative of my entire yep. medical team, uh, and and I think they're very, very good. But there are times when I do speak up, and most of the time, of the reaction I get is, you know, good way to advocate for yourself. And yeah. I almost want to say, I shouldn't have to, but I, I never say that. I never say that. But it's like, wow, I really shouldn't have to advocate right. for myself. Uh, well, you I guys think, should have caught this. I know. And I, I think that's true if you forget for a moment that these are humans. I know. They are and, humans, you know, right? and, and, and even when you say that, right? I mean, you're somebody that knows this as that well as anyone, right? This, this is your life's work. make mistakes. Of course. And, and the devices they're using may not have been optimally designed. Exactly. This is getting uh, this is getting even more important as all of these devices move home. So now we're trying to keep people in. Uh, oh, you mean in there, as, they come in there, right? Exactly. Because you can do dialysis. You sure can, and there's good reasons. Home. Absolutely, there's good reasons to do that, right? For you know, right. it makes it a lot easier. 
um, right. you know, you're comfortable, etc. Um, but now you've got somebody who's been, imagine you've been sent home from the hospital a little early, you're still a little groggy, you're still convalescing, and now you're trying to work some piece of equipment yeah. and you still haven't figured out, you know, how to, how to not have three remotes to work your television any longer. Um, <laughs> right, like, like, like me. This, and now you're supposed to use this. Me. Yeah. Um, and, and as people get older, now they're dealing with displays where the contrast is not great. Right. The uh, font size is too small. It was probably designed by a 23 year old. And, um, those things need to be considered and tested and so forth. Okay, you have convinced me, Russ. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, you've convinced me this is, I mean, I knew this was important, but this is a it's really critical. important field and we need more people in it. Yes. And uh, so hopefully, hopefully we'll get more. Now, I know that you, uh, I have a question for you about the, the programs like you had mentioned to me before we started recording yeah. that you co-founded uh, a human factors uh, master's program at Arizona State University, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the human factors program uh, predates me. That's the program I was in, but I founded a master of science in user experience. And, and so is, there, is that a place? To, or, no, I'll back up. Yep. If I want to get a master's degree in human factors and healthcare, can you recommend some schools? Yes. Uh, so you mentioned uh, one right off the top. Uh, that's one of my favorites, which is Wisconsin. Yay. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I'm a big oh, fan of Wisconsin. Um, Pascal Carrion's there. John Lee, who is one of the best human factors folks I've ever run across, yeah. uh, is there. Um, and, and you've got the hospital right there. Yeah. Um, let's see, but I will mention a few others. Let me see Please if I can do. think of some of the yep. others off the top of my head. Uh, Arizona state is, um, is a good one for this. And we have this great relationship with Mayo clinic, which is right Wonderful. down the road. Okay. Uh, so I would look at that. Um, boy, I should probably think of some others. University of Minnesota is a good one. Okay. Um, those folks that I'm forgetting are going to be mad at me, but, uh, well, I tell if anyone's listening. And we yep. and we didn't mention your school or school you know of. Just contact us. And oh, please we, do. Yeah, we'll add it. I can add it to the blog where we write about the podcast episode. Oh, that's great. That would be wonderful. Okay, so use and I. In fact, I'll point it out in that oh, blog. Yeah, I will, go ahead. I will mention another favorite. Um, yeah. Texas A and M. Okay. Has a, a really nice program. Um, wonderful. With. Sharp students coming out left and right. Um, Ohio State has some some good folks. So, uh, Russ, thank you so much for joining us. I can't oh, believe pleasure. we managed to use up an entire hour. Um, to oh, almost. I can. We always do. You can. We oh yeah exactly. <laughs> so, um, what? Is there anything we do? I mean, we haven't used up an entire hour. So if there's anything else you want to talk about or mention, this is your opportunity. Anything yeah. else you want to get out there in the world? I do want to make sure. So I want to make sure this kind of work gets done. It's really important. Uh, it's it's really important that it gets done and, and, and critical for our healthcare. It's probably one of the most important things we can do in healthcare right now. So to that end, uh, I want to make sure people let me know if they are interested in getting to this field. I'm happy to give them some guidance and point them in the right direction wow. and things like that. That's a wonderful. Sure. Might as well. That's a wonderful um, thing to put out there. All right. Should, so then how can how do they get a hold of you? Uh, feel free to send me an email at Russ. That's me at Research Collective. So it's research dash or hyphen collective dot com okay and i'll we'll, we'll put that in the uh blog post too yeah yeah i i really enjoy that kind of thing i i know you do too um but it's it's getting more people interested in the work we've chosen uh as our life's pursuit yeah yeah that that's wonderful all right so if you're interested in getting into human factors in the healthcare field uh email russ He'd be willing to give you 
uh, some pointer and some pointers and some ideas about the best way for you to do that. Guthrie, do you have any questions that we didn't cover that you wanted to mention? Uh, no, no. I the, you, this is this is uh, your <laughs> your guys's uh, field of expertise. You know, although you got excited about the economics. I, well, yeah, well, I do too now. It's, yeah, I think we need to talk more about this. I think <laughs> try, trying to understand kind of the incidence of this above and beyond the regular incidence of death, especially when people are sick, is is pretty important stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to uh, pimp some of our own stuff that we're working on. Good. Uh, we have a new uh, behavioral economics fundamentals course that's free at courses.theteamw.com. People can check yeah, that out. Yeah, we just posted that Wonderful. last week, right? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to work. Uh, our, our, the, the new behavioral economics certificate is out too. You can purchase that if you want. Uh, I'm starting to work on the new ethics certificate. That's going to take some time, but you know. I'm yeah, he's on work, Russ. He's working on a on a series of courses. Uh, Wonderful ethics, ethics oh, design. And then, um, if if ever if anyone wants to check out the formula, you can go to ethicalformula.com. That's basically up and running now. So uh, he that's, has he has a formula that will give you an indication of whether your product you are designing is ethical or not ethical. Wow. Pretty well, fascinating. Uh, well, I say they're, there's they're generally ethical and generally unethical. I don't I don't draw I don't draw Is there a continuum or are there are there two buckets? Oh, no, there's, there's a con no. That's what I'm saying. She, there's okay. only a continuum. Okay, I assumed. Good. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh, now that I uh, I probably should have talked about those in the lead, but you know, we wanted to get Part. to the good stuff first. I know. Well, we'll do a we'll probably do a podcast episode on some of those anyway. Great. Russ, thanks so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure talking to you guys. Uh, take care. And I hope we we run into you well, at some in-person conference or something. Exactly. Even if yeah, we just happen to be in the same city, we can get together for coffee. And I think that's and, a great idea. I think Guthrie and I have not been out to Arizona in a couple of years. So oh, we'd love to have you. Post-pandemic will come Wasn't that long ago. Was it? It was two. It was like two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah, that's. seeing as no one's gone anywhere over the last you're year, overdue. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, you're overdue. You need need a little desert in your life. <laughs> Thanks, Russ. Take care. Thank you. Great talking Bye. to you. Bye. Bye.